What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Oh, hey, folks, we're going to start the show in just a second. But first, I want to give you the latest news about Bill Press. Bill no longer does his progressive morning show. I know it's sad, but that doesn't mean he's gone away. No way. He's out now with a great new podcast, The Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. Check out The Bill Press Pod for Bill's interviews with some of the country's leading progressives, plus his lively end-of-the-week roundtable with three of Washington's top political reporters commenting on the latest craziness from the White House, Congress, and the coronavirus pandemic. For years, Bill Press has been one of the leading progressive voices in the country, so I'm glad he's still out there on the left stronger than ever. I encourage you to join me by subscribing to Bill's new podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, search for the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you're in for a true progressive experience on the Bill Press Pod. And now let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, May 6, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is the great Charlie Pierce, the writer I want to be when I grow up. For those of you who don't know, Charlie's been covering politics for decades, and along those lines, he's like the uh, Hunter S. Thompson of Esquire.com. Or maybe Hunter S. Thompson was like the Charlie Pierce of Rolling Stone, I don't know. But he's authoring must-read blogs over there, op-eds, too, about the Trump crisis and a whole lot more. Today, we're going to talk about the 2020 election, Trump's cannon fodder strategy. And we'll talk about how Charlie and I were both hit by cars. Not at the same time, by the way. Meanwhile, if you dig what you hear today, please help support our Patreon at BobSeskaShow.com. All right, let's talk with living legend Charlie Pierce. You're one of those journalists who still travels, or at least you used to travel to places germane to what you were covering. Are you completely dying to get back out on the road? Are you satisfied staying home for a while? Oh, it's killing me. It's absolutely killing me. It's the biggest story of my lifetime, and I can't cover the damn thing. I mean, I used to rail against people who, you know, did journalism from their couch or their basement or their rumpus room. And now, you know, it's it's not safe to go out and do it. Uh you know, I'd love to be out at, you know, at some rural hospital who's struggling with this or, you know, the Navajo reservation or someplace where, where you know, the, the, the television happy talk, you know, doesn't impact the people living with this thing. Yeah. But, you know, I can't do it. I can't go out because I've got I've got some I've got someone at home who's, who's, who's immunocompromised and I'm in the I have unfortunately aged into the high risk category. 
Well, I mean, is that one of the places you would go? I mean, would you cover uh, the supply chain to hospitals? Uh, you mentioned uh, a Navajo Indian reservation. You could go there too. Are these uh, places that you would hit to cover yeah, this story I, if you could? I, I, I think I think you, I think you go where the you know you go where the you know where where, where the story is really happening. And right now, the story is really happening all the way around. You know, in all different parts of the country. You know, around meatpacking plants and everything else. Right. Uh, that's that's really the only way to do it. Otherwise, you just, you know, you know, making fun of the president. And that's fun as far as it goes. But the best way I can describe what we do at this point, as far as what you do, uh, what I do, what a lot of us are doing, Stephanie Miller, everybody else. It's just a, a disturbing activity following what's happening, especially at the White House. Um, and I've been dying to ask you how Trump's new cannon fodder strategy, setting people out to die, is going to impact his chances in the election. I mean, how is how is this going to affect Donald Trump as far as politics go? This is just the latest of the well. This is what's going to this is what's going to do him in. I think this obviously this is far more serious than the Access Hollywood tape or anything else. Yeah. Uh, but you know, because people are you know people are seeing their their loved ones go to the hospital and they're seeing their grandparents dying, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not and they're not able to get food and and you know they really they really are staying in the house. I think what's more disturbing to me is that the entire Republican Party, uh, local and national, has signed on to the strategy. You got Republican legislatures all over the country, including Wisconsin and Louisiana, you know, attempting to overturn governor's stay-at-home orders. I mean, it seems preposterous because the idea of it, I guess, is to send people back out, thereby reinvigorating the economy, thereby making November a great election for Trump and the Republicans. But it's not going to turn out that way, is it? I mean, this strategy seems like a recipe to further tank the economy. I mean, if you're sending people out and they're dying and they're getting sick, I mean, isn't that in and of itself going to uh, damage the economy even worse than it is right now? I mean, it just seems counterintuitive. Well, I mean, not, not just that, but are you planning to go to a movie anytime soon, even if they open the theaters? I'm not. <laughs> no fucking way. Not a chance in hell. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to go to you're gonna go to happy hour and you know eat, eat chicken wings with you know in a crowded bar anytime soon. <laughs> I don't. I'm not planning about it. <laughs> right. I mean, at the same time, it just seems to me as if the process of doing that, the process of further worsening of the death toll, further worsening of the, the caseload in, uh, in hospitals, uh, it just seems like it's a recipe for increased disaster. And they, they've got some sort of metric they're operating under that this is going to somehow improve things. And I just don't see that happening at all. I mean, Donald Trump was talking in the Oval Office just today. It's going to be a great third quarter, not realizing that the third quarter starts in two and a half weeks or whatever it is. I'm sure there's, you know, there are dark forces at work here, too, who believe that that in in many ways uh, the epidemic is killing the right people. Okay, I'm sure that that's crossed Stephen Miller's mind more than twice, I think, (laughs) since this all started. And the whole and the whole. You know, disruption thing is right out of Steve Bannon's playbook. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I mean, it seems like Steve Bannon is is really the one behind this. I mean, is maybe telling uh, uh, Biff that a lot of commanders in chief send people out to die, right? And and you're no different, Mister President. It seems like that would be uh, Steve Bannon's voice. It just seems like that's his his perspective. You think it's a combination of him and and Stephen Miller and whoever well, else is I, doing? I, I'm saying I'm saying I'm sure there are dark forces forces involved in here too. Yeah. 
Uh, I think the president's own ignorance is involved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the fact that he looks at, at he looks at the election and 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 sees a, revigor, a reinvigorated economy as the only way to win. Right. And I, 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 I and there really is only one way, even theoretically, to reinvigorate the economy, and that's to open it up again, even though it's not going to work. <laughs> right. As you say, as we've been talking about, uh, you cannot reinvigorate the economy keeping everything shut down for another three months. Sure. It isn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but more than anything else, I want responsibility and guilt parceled out correctly this time, the way they weren't in 2009. Yeah, exactly. I want people called to account on this. I really do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't, I, don't, I, I mean, I, I, I was just writing before, before you called uh, a blog post about that. Mitch Daniels uh, op-ed in the Washington Post today about, how we can't be casting partisan blame. Mm-hmm. Well, no, not this time. I mean, you want <laughs> to criticize, you want to criticize Bill de Blasio. Fine. I got no problem with that. No. How the many... primary responsibility falls on, 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 on the president of the United States and everybody who enabled him. That's and right. That includes the entire Republican caucus in both houses of Congress. I mean, you think that's maybe why Donald Trump is behaving the way he's behaving because he knows that's what's waiting for him after January 20th. If he loses that, this is going to be, uh, you know, a truth and reconciliation commission, uh, you know, by maybe some sort of independent bipartisan committee that's going to look into all of the misdeeds. I mean, not just the reaction to coronavirus, but everything going back to Russia and so on, that this is going to be something that's going to uh, uh, bite him in the ass. And he knows it. So therefore, the desperation to make sure that he doesn't lose the election is amplified by a factor of a thousand or whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, I think he's. I mean, I think he's had. You know, I think he's had the gallows in his eyes for the better part of a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. The Southern District of New York is waiting out there in the tall grass for him. <laughs> uh, seriously. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, they're not, and and they're implacable. They've got. They're patient. They can wait. Right. Uh, And, you know, and as you said, I thought it was intriguing that Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren shared a byline on an anti-corruption piece in USA Today last week, because if they're going to put if they're going to put themselves together as a ticket and I still my 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 money is still on Biden and Harris. But if it's Biden and Warren and Warren's portfolio as vice president is anti-corruption, Donald Trump's going to know he's coming after, you know, that, you know, his is the first day she's coming after. Right. And you know what? Speaking of that, uh, I remember you had tweeted a couple of weeks ago. I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago. Yeah, Someone was talking about Elizabeth Warren as a uh, possible uh, vice presidential running mate for Joe Biden. And you're like, no, no, don't take my senator. Are, are you still in that camp where you'd rather not Elizabeth Warren take that uh, take that spot? Yeah. I, I mean, I, just from pure politics, I think Kamala Harris is a better choice. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. I, I really do, because I think, you know, most of the Warren people will go along with that. The Harris people, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how, how many of them you've been hanging with. The Harris people really have a chip on their shoulder because they think she was done wrong. Yeah. And I think putting her on the ticket would would certainly mollify them. And I, you know, I would prefer all things being equal to see Elizabeth Warren as power in the Senate. That's right. In a Democratic Senate. That seems like. A better bet than it seemed three days, you know, three weeks ago. It seems to me as if uh, Joe Biden's picking a, a next president as much as he's picking a vice president. Is that uh, is that really yeah. the case? You think? Oh yeah, I, I I think you know, I think he'd be foolish not to, given his age. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's, you know, he's planning on serving two terms, but I'm sure he's realistic. You know, the actuarial tables aren't, you know, too favorable. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, then again, I don't know how the incumbent is still alive, given what he eats and <laughs> his physical condition. But That's right. <laughs> it's a lot to be said for Adderall, I guess. <laughs> That's right. And you know what? Uh, this week on uh, Stephanie's show, you said something about the Tara Reid fiasco that I thought completely hit the nail on the head. Something about good intentions. Can you repeat that for us? Yeah, I mean, I thought I think a lot of people participated in the outrage with good intentions. Mm-hmm. You know, genuinely sincere feelings that the woman needs to be heard, the charges need to be aired out, the charges need to be explored. Uh, you know, basically the basic theme of the Me Too movement. I think right. they went into it with all the best intentions. I think a lot of people went into it with, you know, purely opportunistic and hypocritical motives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they were, I think those people were pretty much driving the train. But now, I mean, it seems to me like that story's blown up entirely. Yeah, there's no getting around it. I mean, obviously, I think there are too many uh, stories to, since the original story that have mitigated the impact of the original story. I mean, it seems like things are rapidly being debunked more than they can be exposed. And so it's going away quite rapidly. I mean, I don't think anyone's really even talking about it at this point other than the the hotheads. And speaking of which, you tweeted the other day, as best as I can tell, Bernie Sanders' campaign has moved beyond a need for Bernie Sanders. At this point, is uh, the former Bernie movement more about issues or about disruption? I I have no idea what they're... I mean, Bernie Sanders has already offered his full-throated endorsement to Joe Biden. We all saw that. Yeah. But now it's it, you know the campaign seems to move beyond the need for an actual candidate. It mm-hmm. is now you know free free floating performative angst. <laughs> I mean, it's about it, sure, but yeah. it's it's you know but it's also about you know your. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it at this point. You know, a devotion to the idea of a human being, yeah. namely the idea of Bernie Sanders, rather than the man himself. Bernie Sanders genuinely likes. Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're friends. They're, they're not just like my, 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 you know, my, you know, my good friend from Vermont. They're really friends. How did that develop? How do, how do they end up? Uh, who knows? I mean, I mean, that, well, first of all, that's Biden's great gift. Yeah. And he can make friends. He, Joe Biden can make friends with anybody. <laughs> that is true. You know, I mean, that's just, it's just what he's good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, and, you know, I think they work together. I, they certainly work together on the violence against women's act, uh, against women act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, Biden was probably his, probably Barack Obama's outreach to Bernie and his people too. Yeah. Uh, you know, Biden's Biden's. I mean, I mean, as much as it drives you crazy sometimes, Biden is a, he's a creature of you know the advise and consent Senate, mm-hmm. the backslapping, bourbon branch water. You know, let's go have dinner after I after I cut your nuts off <laughs> in a debate. Right. You know, U.S. Senate. Exactly I mean, he's a throwback in in that kind of way. He's not going to change. I mean, it's, you know, he's been in the Senate. You know, I think I think he got elected the same year Bob LaFollette did. Right. But at the same time, I think being being Barack Obama's uh, vice president was transformative of him on him. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I mean, I think he saw more than that something was going on than than just a once in a generation political talent. Mm-hmm. And I think he realized he was part of it, and I think it's moved him. It's moved his politics to a different place. I won't say it's moved him left or right, because I'm not entirely sure what that means anymore. But it's moved Joe Biden's politics a little bit away from its institutional, you know, 
groundwater. Yeah, you know, didn't uh, President Obama refer to Joe Biden the other day as possibly the most progressive nominee of the Democratic Party in in history? But I don't know where do you where do you land on that? Is was he right well, about I that? I mean, I don't think he's I don't think he's more progressive than McGovern was. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think. I mean, I mean, I don't. You know, let's leave aside, you know, FDR and so forth. Yeah, uh, I think he's certainly, he's certainly more he's more progressive than Al Gore was in 2000. Mm-hmm. He's more he's probably more progressive than John Kerry was in 2004. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and and if, it's Obama saying it about himself. So I'll take his word for it. Yeah, let me ask you this too, uh, because uh, with Joe Biden, do you think he's going to continue to cultivate the uh, the good guy Joe Biden image? It, it seems to me as if that's the wise choice, and that would certainly dictate someone like Kamala Harris being his running mate because Kamala Harris has got that prosecutorial posture with <laughs> confrontations. And it seems to me oh, as yeah. if it would be a great balance between Joe Biden, good guy Joe Biden, and prosecutorial uh, Kamala Harris, who's counterattacking the Trumpers at every turn. It seems like a perfect yeah, mix. I think, I th- yeah, and I, I, you know, I, think, I think Elizabeth Warren's good at that too, but I think Harris is better. Because yes. as you said, she, you know, she worked as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And you saw it in, in the various hearings. In fact, yesterday with John Ratcliffe, she put him on the grill for a while. What happens? Which is pretty amazing, by the way. This yeah. is a guy who last July, you know, his, his nomination died because he had fabricated his resume. <laughs> and now they're trying to put him in there again. I mean, did he unfabricate his resume? <laughs> this is exactly right. Between now and last July? Did he actually go out and do all the stuff he said he did? Yeah, someone asked him about that yesterday. And in fact, his response was more or less, I don't know. <laughs> he had no, no response to the question. Is why is suddenly acceptable today, but was completely unacceptable in the summer. And since then, and since then, we've seen him be, you know, a bargain basement Jim Jordan throughout the impeachment things. God damn it! You know, I mean, I mean, it's not, it's not like, it's not like you know, we, we it's not like people didn't watch the hearings. Do the Bernie sure. hotheads swing the election this time, knowing all it takes are one or two percentage points in key districts, or is the the alleged blue wave going to be too powerful for uh, the Bernie people to be able to uh, flummox it? I think a lot. I think I think by and large the Bernie the Bernie people will come home. Uh, you know, the noisy the noisy ones on Twitter and and in social media and you know on various you know lefty websites and magazines, they're probably. As unreachable as the Trumpers are, right? But I mean, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez is on board. Uh, Ayanna Presley's on board. The whole squad is on board, except maybe uh, Rashida Tlaib. And I'm not sure about her. I mean, I'm not saying yes or no. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. But you know, people recognize that the primary that the primary goal this time around is to please, you know. Clean out the stables. Right. Let's say uh, Joe Biden declines to run for a second term in four years. And I again, I'm getting way ahead of us here. I mean, I'm the don't get happy guy. If I see one damn balloon, go outside, right. turn around yeah. three times and curse. Yeah, curse and spit, yeah. Exactly. But I, let's say he does win, decides not to run for a second term in 2024. I saw a lot. Of, there was a, a bit of a rumble on Twitter, uh, for what it's worth yesterday about the possibility of AOC running for president in four years. It seems uh, seems a teeny tiny little bit premature. I mean, obviously, she's going to do it at some point. Eight years removed from tending bar? Uh, yeah. No. First of all, she's got to get reelected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, and there's going to be a lot of money thrown into that race. There's mm. already, I, I don't know if there's a primary challenger. I know there's a Republican. But, you know, she's she's got a fight on her hands because, you know, the 
the wor- the, the toughest reelection fight anybody ever has is their first one. Right. I mean, unless they stay in office till they're eighty, and then they have to run. You know, when they're becoming decrepit, but. I mean, is her district pretty uh, safe? It seems like she's pretty safe. Hey, it's a, it's a safe D seat. Mm. It's a D plus 21 seat. So yeah. uh, it's not going to, you know, she's not going to get, uh, she's not going to get tripped up there. I'm wondering though, if there's a, you know, if there's a, a, a more conservative, more quote unquote mainstream uh, Democrat willing to try her on. And, and if there is, there's going to be a lot of dark money behind that particular Democrat. She's a, she's a target now. And, and she understands that. And she made herself one. And I don't think she's going to, you know, she's not going to complain. She's not going to whine about it, but. She's just loaded with potential as far as I'm concerned. I mean, she could be the next big, I mean, right now she's just a lightning rod for Fox News. But it seems to me as if eventually she's going to be uh, a standard bearer for the Democratic Party. I mean, I think she's going to be a uh, a real leader in the future. I think uh, she just need to take some time to uh, to grow in the position a little bit more. And then uh, I think she's well, got think some. She's got to get some notable accomplishments as a legislator. Yes. I mean, she's got to get get her name on something important that passes. I mean, she's got great natural political instincts. Mm-hmm. I mean, she could have, she could have led the fight to overthrow Nancy Pelosi. She got on board right away with Nancy Pelosi. She's gotten right on board with Joe Biden. She said she pretty much saved Bernie's campaign yeah, when he was true. in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. She's really good at that. And I think, you know, I think the other person not to sleep on is Ayanna Presley, who I think is just terrific. Speaking of New York, where do you land on canceling primaries? It looks like Andrew Yang managed to restore the New York primary. Um, <laughs> first of all, why did Andrew Cuomo decide to say, oh, you know what, I'm just going to pull the plug. Fuck it. I'm just not even going to deal with this. And now it's back on as if nothing ever happened. Is this something that we should even be entertaining as a possibility, the idea of monkeying around with elections? You know, I, I understand why Cuomo did it. You know, he it's it's. It's his perception and the perception of everybody else that the race is pretty much over. Yeah. So why make you know why why give people the opportunity to go stand in crowds? Uh, I mean, it's, I, I haven't read the judge's decision reopening the thing, and I haven't heard yet whether or not New York's going to fight it. But it's one of those things that that comes along with the current situation that's not predictable. I don't think anybody's go- I don't think anybody's going to allow them to cancel the presidential election. No. You know, I don't think I mean or postpone it or whatever. Uh, I don't think, I mean, I, I, I think it's going to get monkey wrenched in a lot of places, but I don't think it's going to get postponed or canceled. Uh, yeah. Would I, you know, would I like to see every state do vote by mail? Absolutely. But you know, I'm not, I don't live in Alabama. So I don't even know the, the most, um, relatable scenario was 1864. And how do you apply that? I mean, as I'm talking about it now, Charlie, I'm going, wait a minute. How would that even work if a bunch of uh, governors, state legislatures decided, hey, you know what? Fuck it. We're not going to have the election. <laughs> would the national election continue just without those states? I'm trying to put uh, the puzzle pieces together in all of this. Well, there's, I, mean, I mean, there's no more outdated Sakaka system than the way we elect presidents. <laughs> and that's in the best of times. And that's in the best of times, as we learned in 2000 and mm-hmm. 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, was a great, it was a great system if you wanted to maximize the slave power. It was a great system if you didn't want everybody to vote. Yeah. Uh, but it's been a long time since, you know, we had the slave power. It's been a long time since, since you know, it has been that, tragically, it has been that long since we allowed black people to vote. But, yeah, I mean, and, and, and this is going to put enormous stress on a system that's already, you know, held together with, you know, quill pens and bailing wire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God damn. Uh, yeah, I mean, state legislatures can refuse to, you know, certify electors. 
Mm. And I don't. And, and to be honest with you, Bob, I don't know what kind of campaign we're going to have. I don't know you know, either. Certainly, we're, we're certainly not going to have, you know, airplanes full of reporters flying to five stops in in, in a day. Yeah, like we usually have. Well, it seems like uh, I don't th- think. the next nearest thing is what Trump kind of did yesterday at Honeywell, <laughs> which was yeah. an unmitigated disaster for him. But suffice to say, he treated that like a campaign event. I mean, that's what that was. That was basically Sorry. with the music and everything. Didn't he have the Lee Greenwood song at the beginning and then the Rolling Stones he song had, at the end? He and- had the Stones. And he, he also had Live and Let Die, which I thought was good. <laughs> I thought that was a choice, actually. Yes, let me ask you that. I mean, do we know yet whether that was intentional or a ridiculously on-the-nose coincidence? I mean, how did that happen? Do you know? I, I, I mean, I mean, I gave up a long, I gave up a long time ago trying to figure out his playlist. You know, you go to a drunk rally and you'd hear, you can't always get what you want, and the Nessun Dorma. Yeah, and that awful Lee Greenwood song. And, well, and, not to mention, hear, not to mention YMCA. I get a massive kick hearing that at ballparks, by the way. <laughs> so all these people come out to see a football game, and they're all they're all they're all they're all dancing and doing pantomime to a gay love song. <laughs> That's right. Do they know? I mean, that was my question as soon as I saw that for the first time. It's like, do they understand what that song's all about? <laughs> I don't think they do. It's madness. I mean, seriously, uh, Charlie, is this the most fucked up thing you've ever witnessed in politics? The president conscripting citizens as soldiers to die in his war for re-election. This has got to set. I mean, obviously, we've had all new standards of depravity for the last three plus years. I mean, does this set a whole new standard for what the fuck? I mean, I don't even know how to even categorize this in the pantheon of presidential history. No, I, I don't think there's any. I mean, as you said, 1864 uh, was the closest was the closest parallel. Yeah. Uh, 1860, we. I mean, what happened was everybody voted, and then the South left, mm-hmm. but they voted. They didn't vote for Lincoln, but they voted, and then they left. Yeah. 1864, you had half the country was gone, uh, and of course, they, you know, 18. Uh, I, I never get this right. Is it 1896 with Hayes and Tilden? Yeah, no. Uh, Hayes and Tilden wasn't that. Uh, I, that was, I, I, I honest to God thought two thousand was the biggest clusterfuck in the history of democracy. Yeah, this is way beyond that. Mm-hmm. Because this is this is you know a, a this is a this is a this is a risk for every individual voter. Right. A calculation you have to make. Yeah. Is it worth endangering my health to get this guy out of office? Yeah. And I think that I think the precedent that was set in Wisconsin where they made people go vote and people show, people showed up and essentially said with their votes, okay, you know, dickhead, you want to make us vote? Fine. You're out. I think you might see a lot of that in November. It, it just seems as if his twisted logic is the economy comes back. Then my reelection chances come back. I mean, it, 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 it's also, a, you know, he, he also wants to rile up. He wants, he wants to, he wants to set off little rallies all over the country. Yeah. We even had one in Massachusetts, and he wants to rile these folks up. You know, they're, you know, they're, and 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 the local Republican parties are right along with it. Mm-hmm. You know, they elected a Democratic governor in 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 Louisiana and in Kansas and in Wisconsin. That doesn't mean they're going to let him govern or or her. Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with Charlie here in just one second. But now more than ever, we're all thinking about our hygiene. We're washing our hands, sneezing into our arms, making sure not to touch our face. But what about your cell phone? It's a huge carrier of germs. Phones are a vector for disease. 
and we rarely ever clean them. I know I haven't cleaned mine. We're constantly touching our phones with our hands and even pressing them to our face. It's time to take cleaning your phone seriously. That's what I'm going to do with the Clean Phone Pro Sanitizer. It uses medically proven UV light technology to kill 99.9% of all bacteria that comes in contact with your phone. Better than wipes and safe for your device. The Clean Phone Pro gets every inch of your phone clean with nine high-power UVC lights. There's a dedicated wireless charging pad, too, on top of the chamber, so you can be sanitizing your other items while wirelessly charging your phone or just use the Clean Phone Pro as your go-to charging station anytime you want. A fully removable top means easier fit for more items and larger items. Go to thecleanphone.com today and get one for just $89 and free shipping when you use the code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word. If you're serious about hygiene, it's time to get serious about cleaning your phone. Go to thecleanphone.com and keep your phone truly clean. Remember to use the code SEXYLIBERAL for two-day free shipping, and it's going to ship immediately. That's thecleanphone.com, thecleanphone.com. Anybody quarantining with kids? I have friends who are. With libraries, schools, and bookstores closed, Literati has you covered with something truly unique. This subscription book club for kids was founded by two women, two amazing women, to make it easy to find interesting books delivered straight to your doorstep. That's awesome. No more scrolling online trying to find that perfect book for your child or give as a gift. Parents are running out of ideas in quarantine. Literati does all the work for you. Each Literati box contains five books based on a theme with exclusive original art and a personalized note to your child. These are going to Travis's nephews and my ex's newborn. Zero to 12, man. Literati knows at-home deliveries are so important in the weeks ahead to meet your need for attention-grabbing educational materials. Reading books as a family creates a sense of adventure and bonding. And with their curated selection, only keep your favorites, send back the rest for free. For a limited time, go to literati.com slash Stephanie. 25% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. To get it, you have to go to L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I dot com slash Stephanie. 25% off your first two orders. Literati.com slash Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply. The Bob Seska Show. What is the stock market seeing? What are the, the spazzy white guys in lower Manhattan seeing that the rest of the economy isn't seeing? Is it the infusion of uh, cash from the Fed? Or w- what's the disparity between what's happening on the stock market versus what's happening in the real economy? Well, I mean, people, I mean, I mean, company, you know, major, major companies are, are shedding labor costs by the truckload. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you get some stock, you know, you get some uh, stockholder value there. Uh, I think they all see, you know, and I think you saw Mike DeWine say this yesterday in Ohio, they see austerity coming down the road. That's generally pretty good for them. Uh, and, you know, and I'm sure there's all kinds of, excuse me, I'm sure there's all kinds of hocus pocus going on again, too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure there's another bubble in there somewhere. And, and it seems to me as if we're at a place now, Charlie, where uh, I don't know what we're going to be able to do moving forward in terms of of presidential corruption, just as a general uh, concept. Because if Trump can't be removed from office by impeachment, 25th Amendment, certainly the Electoral College didn't do what it had to do uh, back in uh, 2016. Um, can, can we chalk up this and future presidents as entirely unremovable? I mean, what would a president in the future have to do in order to be impeachable or is the president I completely mean, unaccountable? I mean, call an East Room press conference, you know, strip yourself down and, and paint your body blue. <laughs> That's right. You know, I mean, I don't you know. Ha- you ha- you would, that, that for whoever it is, I mean, you got to get, I mean, you have to get two thirds of the cabinet to vote to remove you. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
what presidents well what what president in, ever in, in our in our imaginations if the, if it's if, if it's not this guy what president's going to be you know going to get 66% of his cabinet against him but I mean, even in a more conceptual sense, Donald Trump has lowered the bar so deep, I mean, to a subterranean level that we've never seen before. It just seems as if now that's just broadened the parameters in which future presidents can behave. It seems like it expands the uh, spectrum of behavior by the president of the United States. Uh, it's almost like when the you know the, the, the Kool-Aid man bashes through the wall and there's that giant Kool-Aid man-sized hole in the wall. It seems like a <laughs> lot of awful, awful things can come flooding through that wall and, and things that we will be more or less powerless in order to, to stop from now on because it didn't work with this guy. How could it possibly work with anyone else? I'm serious. Whatever, I mean, a president's going to have to stick up a bank yeah. to get in peace. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's going to have to, yeah. like, kidnap the king of Jordan and hold him for ransom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and because, because, let's face facts, the guy was guilty of sin mm-hmm. this time. He yeah. really did shake Ukraine down. Yeah. You know, for, 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 for you know, rat-fucking purposes. Uh, they, he really did that, okay? I don't think anybody doubts that he did that. Even people who, who, you know, made a lot of noises about, you know, nitpicking the charges. Uh, because that's the way he does business. It's what he's doing now with with vital medical supplies. Be nice to me, or I'll you know, or or I'll steal your ventilators. I mean, what he's doing, or what he tried to do with Ukraine, it boiled down to its bare essence. Is Donald Trump tried to cheat in the election? Uh, the fact that he tried to cheat in the election and was impeached for it uh, seems to be lost down the memory hole. I, I guess I yeah. Is anyone going to mention that when he's talking about rigging the election? I'm not talking about just those of us on Twitter. I'm talking about important people, including the Joe Biden campaign. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, I hope that I hope the Biden campaign understands that there's a great amount of buyer's remorse among the people that voted for Trump the last time. Yeah. You don't have to tiptoe around these folks. They're already halfway with you. Contrary to a lot of the evidence, Americans aren't completely stupid, and they and and, and they're looking at this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why he stopped doing the briefings. One day, one day he was bragging about, you know, how many people were watching the briefings, and then all of a sudden he was like, "Holy shit, a lot of people are watching the briefings." <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, the, the whole world is watching and not approving. <laughs> And you know, Charlie, did you uh, watch all of those briefings, or did you jump in? And oh yeah, out? I, I made it my I made it my goal to uh, to live tweet through them. Yeah, me too. And I I felt myself getting legitimately depressed as a consequence of it. And I've never I, I love covering politics. I've never been yeah. depressed as a con. And I, I I was covering politics through the Bush years. My God, it, this was destroying my will to live in a, in a certain sense. I mean, that's obviously... I, I, started, I started covering national politics uh, during the Reagan years. Yeah. First Reagan term. And that was depressing enough. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, the, the, the interesting thing, the difference between he and Reagan, the Reagan people, you know, they did unbelievable damage. They set the Republican Party on the course that has led them into the sewer they're in now. Yeah. But the Reagan people, the people who liked Reagan were happy people. Mm-hmm. They really were. The Trump people, even the ones who are most devoted to him, are not happy people. They're grim, angry, you know, spittle-flecked malcontents. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the, the, the pure joylessness of it mm-hmm. that makes 
that that makes it depressing. The destabilizing aspect of it is what was really getting me in particular. I mean, it's one thing, you know, with, with Reagan, with certainly to an extent with George W. Bush, my angst when it came to W, for example, was mostly about issue-based decisions, whether we go to war or not, how we handle the war. It wasn't structural. It never felt during the George W. Bush years as horrendous as they were. It never felt like the entire system was going to crash and burn. And every day I get that sense, and I use this metaphor a lot, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but it's that feeling of leaning too far back in your chair and almost falling over but catching yourself at the last minute, that uneasy adrenaline burst of of feeling like you're going to fall and break your neck. That's the feeling I get every time I either open up Twitter or turn on MSNBC or even C-SPAN watching the uh, the Trump show in the afternoon. That and it, uh, that's, yeah, I mean, and this is this is an experience. This I'm going to bring up now an experience that you and I share. Yeah, we've both been hit by cars. Oh yes, right. Okay, and I don't know about you, but there was a moment after I got hit by my car where my conscious mind said, "Holy shit, you got hit by a car." <laughs> Yeah, this is really going to be bad, right? You know, and that's the way I feel when I watch those things. I'm falling down hard, <laughs> but I haven't hit the ground yet. Yes, it's exactly the feeling. Like this is happening. Oh God, yeah. It's it feels like when people talk about how when you're being hit by a car, something awful is being happen is happening to you physically. Uh, it really does feel like it's almost in slow motion. That was the sense that I yeah. got. Uh, you know, I was on top of a bike, so I had a, a, a you know not only the impact of the car, but the the uh, launching of my body to a certain extent, yeah. as if on a trebuchet device. That was what it kind of felt like. And then as I'm landing, that is exactly what was going through my head. Oh God, I was just hit by a car, and wow, this yeah. hurts. <laughs> Is that this? That's the experience you had too, obviously. And yeah, you know this what? Wonderful calm, vo- this wonderful calm voice. Hey, you've been hit by a car. This is really going to hurt. This could be a problem here. Oh my god! I, I hated that little. I hated that little calm guy, whoever he was. <laughs> yeah, no shit. In fact, you know, I was going to ask you about this, Charlie, because this the last time we spoke was before you were hit by a car, and we haven't had a chance to really talk about it yet. Uh, are you okay? Have you recovered? Yeah, I've got. I mean, I've got. I've got. You know, a couple of uh, the worst I got was was a couple of uh, cracked lumbar vertebrae in my lower back, which were not so severe as to require surgery. Thank God. I still get the twinge when I lift something, but yeah. I mean, I got real lucky. I got incredibly lucky. Yeah, me too. I mean, I cracked. Uh, I mean, I had seventeen. I had seventeen stitches in my head, Bob, and ugh. I fell backwards into, and my head went into a snowbank, so it slowed down the bleeding. That's how lucky I was. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so yeah. I stapled up my head. I didn't have. I've never. Had, I never had staples before. That was interesting. Did you uh, lose consciousness at any point, or did you? Uh... No, not no, not at all. No. Uh, I, I'm telling you, I was I was entertained by the calm little voice all the way to the ground. <laughs> That's right. I mean, the I, I wonder sometimes if uh, I had been happier if I had forgotten about it, if I had uh, awakened in the uh, emergency room and gone, "Well, it just happened to me." Uh, but I, I'm actually kind of glad that I remembered every second. Uh, which well, was well, I'm, I'm, I'm when I go to court, I'm going to be very happy that I remember every second. <laughs> Good, good for you. Yeah, I uh, I took the driver's insurance company to court, and uh, at the time I didn't have health insurance. What helped me out was, in fact, strangely enough, and I, I got to give a little plug to State Farm. 
my auto insurance somehow covered the fact that I was hit by a car while on my bicycle. So I was, uh, oh, they are like, they are like good neighbors. <laughs> yeah, really very much. So, you know, I was just, I was riding my bike through uh Womelsdorf, Pennsylvania of all places. And a, and a guy sped right past me in his car and then immediately made a right hand turn right in front of me. And of course I couldn't stop oh. in time. And I, so I T-boned the car. And uh, landed in the street on the other side of the car. Because so you can imagine, you, clear, you, cl- you, you cleared the car. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine like a six foot four man in garish cycling gear, uh, laying <laughs> prone on on the street, surrounded by. Easy there. I'm getting entirely easy there. I'm getting entirely too hot. <laughs> oh, surrounded by Womelsdorfians. That was always a. Uh, yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a great, uh, a great helper a nurse from uh was just coming off duty she worked in a hospital in malden yeah uh, north of boston she was coming back home and she stopped and she sort of took over the the accent scene before the the emts got there mm-hmm. and she was just this wonderful no bullshit nurse like i'm lying in the street and a guy you know this group around me and a guy comes up to the intersection and starts blowing his horn to get people out of the street so he can go through the intersection. And this nurse stands up and goes, shove that phone up your ass, you fucking asshole, in a great Boston accent. That's so great. Oh, holy shit. In a classic, in a classic Boston accent. Sounded like, sounded like something from the town or something. <laughs> Only could have been made better if he had used the word wicked in there. Yeah, I mean... I mean <laughs> She no, it was she. It was she. She was about, you know, she was about six foot one, about one hundred and eighty pounds, and she was just a formidable, formidable presence at my little accident scene. Oh my god! Yeah, well, and you never forget it. I mean, mine was uh, thirteen years ago this month. In fact, in, in fact, we yeah. might be pretty close to the day. I think. You know, I watched the, uh, the 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 final judiciary committee hearings into the impeachment charges, the ones that Jerry Nadler held. I watched them doped up to the gills in the hospital. Oh, see, that's the the most fun that you could have watching impeachment hearings is to be doped to the gills and uh, and, and holy shit, it's Louis Gohmert! Wow, <laughs> god damn! And suddenly, Louis Gohmert has extra arms and limbs coming out and vapor trails surrounding his yeah, and his, his eyes are aflame. And- <laughs> so let me ask you this before I let you go, uh, Charlie, on a, on a much more serious note, much more serious than us being hit by cars. Um, how close are we to watering the crops with Brondo, really? I mean, in other words, are we on the doorstep of idiocracy a thousand years sooner than Mike Judge had forecasted? Uh, I think, you know, I, I mean, I wrote Idiot America, and it came out almost 10 years ago. Oh, that's and right. I think, I think I, you know, I think I, I think I, I think I short-weighted it a little bit, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I think, I, you know, I, I think, I, I mean, believe it or not, I think I missed my window. No, Jesus Christ! I was only writing about George W. Bush. Yeah, and and I, I've noticed he's uh, going through a bit of a rehabilitation. Yeah, no, let's not do that. Okay, let's not do that. <laughs> it's like it's like the Project Lincoln folks. You know, I really admire what they're doing, and I I hope they keep doing it. But as soon as he's out of the White House, they go back to being Republicans again. Yeah, do you think they're going to do and that? Do you think they're going to do that? I mean, not just uh, defending their issues, but I mean, are they going to pull the same shenanigans that they pulled when everything was "quote unquote" normal before Trump? I I I, I need an offer of proof that to, to believe that they're not going to do that. Yeah, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of these people were perfectly happy with the Swift Boat guys and the Purple Heart mandates in mm. two thousand in two thousand and four. Yeah. And a lot of these people were perfectly happy with the gay baiting campaigns uh, in two thousand and four. A lot of these people were perfectly happy with with slandering Michael Dukakis as a mental patient. Okay. Yeah. I. You know, I, I I'm glad they're on our side this time because it's an all hands on deck emergency. But as soon as we as soon as we you know relax from general quarters, I'm going to keep my eye on them. You know, I was talking to Sherry Jacobus uh, on the show. I don't know how many months ago, and she said something along the lines of that the Never Trumpers are planning to drop guns and LGBTQ issues. Do you think that's going to happen? I, think, I don't know. I think, I think she's right about. I think she's right about LGBTQ yeah. issues because on the, on those demography is destiny. Yeah. Everybody under the age of 30 doesn't give a damn. You know, I mean, people are content now with what we have. Right, right. There aren't enough votes. And, and, the, and you know, the, I hate to say it, but the, the coronavirus is wiping out the primary constituency for those appeals. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm yeah. sorry, but that's what's happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, guns is a tougher one. Mm-hmm. I, think the, I, think, I think they'll move away from the NRA because I think the NRA is toxic now. Plus, it's going broke. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but, you know, gun, are they going to get back on the, you know, the gun control carousel? I'm not sure about that. That's a tougher one, I, I think, than, than, you know, will they get, the, the bigger question is, will they divorce themselves from crackpot theology? You know, as long as you're still there to uh, call bullshit when it's deserved with uh, Tom Nichols, that's <laughs> that's good enough for me. I'm Tom just, and I are pals. Yeah, I know. Me Tom too. and I are pals. I, I've been pals with Tom for a while now too, uh, and it just I, I hope the entire um, uh, Project Lincoln crowd doesn't revert to the disingenuous arguments that they did that that kind of built the the groundwork for Trump. They they worked in the politics that made somebody like Trump. Not only possible, but inevitable. Exactly. We're just lucky we got a bungler. <laughs> That's right. You know, if, we that... got a, if, we, if we'd gotten a competent authoritarian, authoritarian, we'd be even more trouble. Well, that's the terrifying scenario, isn't it? The, the Yeah. The, the sane... It's almost like, uh, I don't know, the next nearest person I could think of that would fit into that mold would almost be Ted Cruz. Because he's at Ted least... Cruz, no, more, more, so to, more so Tom Cotton, I think. Oh, yeah, Tom Cotton. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, because he's got a he's got he's got he's got a shoot 'em up messianic foreign policy thing going. It scares the hell out of me. Yeah, and in fact, Tom Nichols is warning about Tom Cotton uh, as far yeah. as being that person, being the smart, the quote unquote smart Trump. Yeah, it's so terrible. Yeah, I, would, I would keep an I would keep an eye on him. Well, okay. All my, right, are we done? Yes, we are done, that, my right. friend. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm hey, sorry we had will a, the, When will this be? When, when will this be podworthy? Uh, this will be up in a matter of about an uh, hour and a half or so. Oh, on the on the sexy liberal uh, pod network. Oh, absolutely, yeah. In fact, all three of my shows—Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday—are all part of that network, and and uh, and this will certainly be in there too. And uh, it'll Chris be open. Chris does, Chris does great work. I am I'm so immensely grateful for their support. I mean, I wouldn't—I don't know that I'd be sitting here doing this if it, it wasn't for the fact that uh, I got hooked I mean, up I, with that I mean, guy. I, I'll never forget the first time I, I actually saw Chris Lavoy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> You the guy is the size of a UPS truck. Yes, and you know what? The free speech TV cameras don't don't do him justice because Oh, absolutely no, absolutely not. No. He will fill your laptop screen, let me tell you. <laughs> That's right. On that note, my friend, thank you so much again for today, and uh, we'll talk to you hey, again. Also. Bob, 
We'll see you down the road, I hope. Oh, yeah. If we Thank- ever get out of our houses again. Fingers crossed. Maybe we, uh, maybe we should uh, be more careful, the two of us, uh, crossing streets. No, I see that, that, too. Keep that in mind. Don't get hit by a car again. It's not a good idea. <laughs> All right, we'll see you. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.